We're going to start this psalm today as we're looking at it, just kind of reminding you about the different ways or the different types of psalms that you will encounter. Uh, when you read through uh, the 150 psalms, uh, a lot of people have categorized them in different ways at different times. And so um, if you were to, to study over the psalms, you would see many of what they call penitential psalms. Uh, it deals with the confessing of sin, kind of maybe is the easiest way to say that. And this is the second one that we have studied. Uh, probably the most famous is Psalm 51. And likely you have been there uh, on occasion, especially on the occasion that you are really uh, addressing some particular uh, sin and you're wanting to remind yourself of how to return to the Lord and how he responds and and all of those things. And so some people, uh, because the Psalms are not chronological, uh, some people would say that this Psalm kind of follows Psalm 51. Uh, if you've studied Psalm 51, you realize that uh, it is um, a psalm that, that addresses uh, a grievous sin that David had committed. And so the follow-up then would be something of, he concludes that psalm and says, then I will instruct people in the way that they should walk, and this is that instruction. And so that's kind of uh, at the heart of, of this psalm. And so it's like, uh, you could say it's both him kind of dealing with sin But it's also like a wise teacher coming to speak to you to help you grow in wisdom in life, a particular area of wisdom. Uh, Boyce stated in his commentary that St. Augustine, uh, his favorite, this was one of his favorite psalms, and he says that he had it inscribed on the wall next to his bed before he died in order to meditate on it better. He liked it because, as he said, the beginning of knowledge is to know oneself to be a sinner. And so he wanted to remind himself on his deathbed of his, his um, need for the Lord. And he did so by meditating uh, on this psalm. So he could recognize who he was, who Christ was, and, and be drawn close uh, to him. Uh, this psalm, um, as it addresses a sinner, it doesn't just say, oh, I'm a sinner. I mean, sometimes people will say to me, well, we're all sinners. Uh, but he doesn't leave you there. Just to say I'm a sinner is not really where you want to stop. Uh, sometimes, it, like I said, people will kind of say, well, the Lord knows how bad I really am. You know, and they just want to leave it there. But he doesn't leave you there. Instead, he shows you how to be a repentant sinner and how to deal with your sin. And so the bad news of being a sinner is then um, tied closely to the good news of God's forgiveness and how that takes place. And and it's a very good object lesson for you to understand and grasp that. He even has personal testimony here. And so a quick outline would be we start with a beatitude, then there's a testimony, then an admonition, then a promise, and it's followed by praise. So you're just going to kind of see that as you move through. That's kind of a basic outline. And maybe you could say, if I was just to kind of bullet down, each one of us should be quick to confess our sins and trust that God is faithful to forgive. If I was just like bullying this psalm down, this is what you could learn. It's a good principle. Each one of us should be quick to confess our sin and then trust that God is faithful to forgive. 
And um, this would work well, uh, not only in your life as a believer, but as one who is trying to share with a non-believer. Uh, God is quick to forgive you. Say, I, you. People will say to you, I don't know if I could be forgiven. If you meet with people over the years, uh, they're carrying a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. Uh, and you, unlike the prodigal son's older brother, who kind of like doesn't want people to repent, you with a heart, the heart of God, would want to come alongside them and say, hold on just a second, how does God deal with the broken, humble sinner? How does he deal with them? They confess, and the Lord, he brings um, forgiveness to them. It comes quickly. So Psalm 32 starts with, like I said, like a beatitude. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. This is the second time we've started a psalm with blessed are you. Uh, The first time was in Psalm chapter 1. And it spoke of the man who walks in God's ways. Uh, It almost presents the man that he's speaking of as perfectly walking in God's ways. And if you remember, we said that the only one that truly embodies Psalm 1 is Jesus. And then when you got to Psalm 2, it talks about the king and the king who's worthy of worship. And so uh, when we get here, we say, okay, in this passage, it's not about the totally upright. It is about the sinner. And you say, well, then could a sinner be blessed? How can he know he is in a state of blessing? How can he know that he is approved of God? How can he be filled with joy knowing that although he is a sinner, there's hope for him, but not just a, not, it's a hope that will not disappoint. How can he know that kind of blessing, that kind of standing? He starts, as you're looking at this text, and he gives us, you could, you'll see these, and you could mark them. I, I sometimes in the text would mark, Number one, two, three. I want to see the three different ways that sin is mentioned here. You see transgression, sin, iniquity. Those three. So you say, are those important? Well, I mean, sometimes when you're writing, have you ever done this? You read over something that you just wrote and you say, I can't use the same word over and over and over. That drives people crazy. I've got to use a synonym. And at the same time, there are specific words that certainly embody different meanings. They have kind of nuances. If we were trying to define sin, we might use different words to try to give a different perspective on it. Transgression is like uh, the idea of departure or rebellion. And so that kind of perspective needs to be in your mind. It's, it's as if uh, you're being, I, I thought about the way I did that earlier, and Will at one point in his life is going to say, don't call me out with the microphone, you know, or whatever. I told everybody, y'all get, you know, get, get seated where they're running around. I was like, William, because he's my son, of course. I figured if I called him out, he would take off this way and potentially everybody would follow. But, but what, what are you saying? You're saying you're running this way, or let's say we're running God's way, and then uh, we, we turn another direction and we rebel against what he's calling out to us to do, and we go 
another way. The idea of transgression is uh, that, that if you boil it down, it's rebellion against God. The, the, the perspective of sin, or at least this term on sin, uh, has the idea of falling short of a mark. And um, I used to, there I've heard people say this, like you take a bow and arrow and you're shooting for the bullseye and when you let go uh, and, and you shoot it, you find out that you miss the target, let's say. Or you're shooting a rifle and you're trying to sight it in and you get it on focused uh, and you focus in on it, you put the crosshairs on the bullseye, you pull the trigger and it's like there's nothing, it didn't hit anything. You know, and you say, I missed the mark. And you realize that um, maybe the, 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 if you're pointing in the wrong direction, the further it is away, the worse you miss it, kind of whatever you might say. Well, the sin here, this idea of missing the mark, the bullseye, the target, the, 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 what's been set before you, you've missed it. Iniquity, it deals with the issue of kind of corruption, uh, within it, it, it's it's the the kind of the poisonous thing that happens within you the twisted nature of how sin like corrupts you and and messes you up you might say so the first term describes sin in relationship to rebellion against God the second speaks of sin in relationship to his law you you, you know he set the standard the mark and you miss that and the third deals with its relationship to you how it's how it's twisting you, how it's corrupting you. How, like sometimes you might say some, something like, uh, I just let my conscience be my guide. Well, you know that one, your conscience is not perfect, uh, because it's corrupted, uh, but you also know that you have a way of searing kind of your conscience at times so that what is wrong doesn't feel wrong anymore. And so the corrupting kind of power of sin. And so he is laying this out. You're saying, we're taking a lot of time on this. And we are because the rest of it will flow from what is taking place here. Now, how does God... Okay, so this person that has rebelled and missed the mark. And and, and as you go on forward and you're thinking about this, the one who's corrupted within, how could they be considered blessed or be called blessed or be approved? I mean, how is that possible? Well, to each one of these definitions of sin, you might say, to each one there is a, a, a corresponding thing that God does. So what do we see? He forgives, he covers, and refuses to count against us. To forgive has the idea of a weight being lifted off of you. Uh, if you were, um, I don't know how many of you uh, still go into the weight room and do bench presses, you know, uh, I, I think Nicholas mentioned that earlier, but you like get up there and you're like, okay, I'm going to throw some heavy weight on there and get down and throw, you know, bench press. If you've done that and you've done it with uh, large weights, let's say, you always, they always say, you need a spotter. You know, and so the spotter is there to lift the weight off if it gets too heavy. So if you've, you're, you know, going away and you get into like the fifth rep and you're starting to struggle, your spotter's there to kind of give you a little help to lift it off. And so the idea here is that the Lord is lifting off the weight of that rebellion. That's how someone can be blessed. 
The second term here is cover. This reminds us of the imagery of the Day of Atonement, when the high priest of Israel uh, took the blood of an animal, uh, sacrificed in the courtyard and temple, and carried it into the most holy place, where he sprinkled it on the mercy seat. This is how someone describes it. The mercy seat was the lid or covering of the, uh, of the ark, and the blood was sprinkled there because it thereby came between the presence of the holy God, symbolized as dwelling in the space between the wings of the cherubim above the ark and the broken law of God that was contained in the ark itself. It thus covered the broken law, shielding the sinner from God's judgment. So it's, it's, it's this, this perspective here of covering so that God doesn't have to pour out wrath on you. The blood was spilled on and it covered it covered the broken, uh, the sin of, of breaking God's standards is, is the idea. It took blood to do so. The third thing here we see is the word count. And this is, um, it, it's a, a more of a financial term, a bookkeeping term. Uh, the, the, it's the suggestion that God is not counting something against us. Paul will write of this in Romans where he speaks of almost like a ledger there. And, and, the, and the term here is like God is not putting to the ledger your sin, but rather Christ's righteousness is kind of the picture. And so when we're looking at this, when we're thinking about it, we're not saying someone is perfect, but rather that God in his accounting has placed into your account the righteousness of Christ, and to Christ he has placed within his account your sin, so that you, who although you are a sinner, uh, you, you, you have found hope in the fact that God has made a way for you to be declared right, even though you're not right. He has made a way. So, our sin has been forgiven and covered over by the blood of Christ, and it is no longer counted against us. It's not, sometimes people will say, you know what they'll do with their sin? They'll redefine the terms. So what maybe in one generation was a sin, in this generation is no longer a sin. That's not what we're saying. Christianity, the Bible, it does not change. The definition of sin does not change, but rather God has provided a way. For you to be right. For your sins to be addressed. A blessed person is not one who is perfect in the sight of God on his own. And he is one who recognizes his sin and hopes in the fact that God will show mercy. He confesses, I'm a sinner. God shows mercy. That is how you can be blessed or considered right with God. Now, the question then becomes like, have you come into this, this place? Do you know blessing? You say, I don't, am I blessed? I, you know, am I? Uh, do you know that? Do you understand what it means to be a sinner and then to be right with God? Because your sins are forgiven. Do you live in a state of being blessed of the Lord? Now. Let's move on to a testimony because you're like, okay, give me an example. Give me an example of what that would be like. Verse 3 through 5. For when I kept silent, 
My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. So he, David, gives us a period of time in his life where he's holding on to a sin. He has this unconfessed sin in his life, you might say. And he begins to feel the pressure of God. He knows it's there. The Lord begins to press down upon him. Like I was talking about earlier, working out with weights. And you get into that fifth rep and you're like shaking, you know. And the Lord, instead of lifting that off, he's pushing down, you could say, on you. What's he doing? Why would the Lord put Doesn't he love you? Why would he put pressure on me? Why would the Lord make me feel like I'm suffocating? Why would he take away all of my strength? Why would he make my bones feel like they were failing? How could that be a loving God that would do what what kind of God would do that? I mean, why would he do that? I mean, sometimes I think that I'm kind of the Lord's like mad at me when it's 100 degrees outside. 100% humidity, and he's like, I'm making you live in Texarkana. It's the judge. No, not really. But, but that kind of pressure, you're like, Lord, like what, what have we done to have to live in such a place? No, not really. But it is like when we're thinking about it, when we're considering um, our lives and we say, listen, I know what it means to be weighed down by my sin. You know, okay, here's the other thing. Someone who's a believer knows that. Just as a side note, just a reminder, if you have come to Christ, you have felt the weight at some point of your sin, and potentially you're living in in that now where you feel uh, that sense of the suffocating judgment of God in a, in a good way, a, a fatherly judgment, so that you, you cry out and say, oh, I need help, I need deliverance, I, I need you. There are countless times, I'm sure, for David that he, living in the wilderness of Israel, in that desert kind of climate, would have been out in places where he thought, if I could just get to water. And, and I think that vi- like vivid kind of mindset is even with us when we know those moments like that. And what he's saying is, that kind of moment is what I face when I hold on to my sin. Have you ever thought, Lord, just ignore my sin? The idea here even is, like he's saying... He, he, he kept silent. Is It's a way of saying, I tried to hide it from him. You remember Jonah when he's in the bottom of the uh, ocean inside the great fish. And he's saying, even here God is here. Like, God's everywhere. God, I can't hide from him. Like, God is is in every place at all times. The wonderful thing is, you can't hide your sin 
from Him. But at the same time, like when you cry out for mercy, He always hears you. You can't be too deep in the well. Like the well, you, you, He's still like he's, he, he hears you. It's not hidden from Him. Actually, God is in that storm or in that pressure, or in that difficulty. He is using it to draw you out of your sin. It's a gracious act. And notice what he says. You see in verse 3, for when I kept silent, this is what happened. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I just, I brought it up to you. It's like, he did, it's not that God didn't know. It's not that you were hiding it from Him. It's just that you, you expressed it to Him. You, you, he said to Him, He says, Lord, I acknowledge, to you, uh, I acknowledge my sin before You. And how does God respond? Well, I'll think about it. I'll think about responding to you. You have driven everybody crazy by holding on to your sin. It's not how he responds. You see immediately, I will confess my transgression and you forgave just how He works. He's a merciful God. That's what He does. He loves to, to bring a sinner, a sinner to a place of brokenness so that He can restore them. That's what He loves to do. He's not one of those, a God where He's like, wants to punish you then. For the rest of your life, I'll bring it up. That's what some people in your life are like. Some people have had parents that for the rest of their life, they bring it up. They hold on to it. They keep saying, remember when? Remember when? Remember when? That's not God. If you have that view of God where He's constantly saying, remember when? Remember when? That's not a biblical understanding. He listens to those he's pressing upon. And when they cry out, he forgives them. That, that's one of those things I think sometimes we don't understand that because we want to think that God acts like us. It's like, well, I'll forgive you, but I can't forget it yet. I'll never be able to forgive it. Totally. I'll wait till I'm really mad at you, husband or wife, and then I'll bring it up again. Don't fear. I will have it there filed away to bring it up to you. And I'll keep bringing it up to you for the rest of our marriage. Because I have an unbiblical view of the gospel. That's why I keep bringing it up to you. That's why I punish you. That's why I hold you to a standard that I don't even live up to. That's why I'm going to keep coming after you. You just wait. You give me a chance. Just one coming after you. Just because you're that way, 
does not mean that God is that way. This probably reminds you of the prodigal son's story in Luke 15. The prodigal asks for his inheritance early. His father gives it to him. He spends his money on lust and pleasure. After wasting all of it, he has nothing to eat. And he says, perhaps my father would allow me to be a servant. And so he walks uh, towards his father's house. When he gets to this place and his father can see him, his father sees his son coming and he takes off running to the son. When the son confesses, or at least tries to get the words out, he had probably been rehearsing. Before you feel like he's finished the whole story of all the things that he needs to confess to the father, the father begins to say, get a robe, put a ring on his finger, throw a party, get the fatted calf. And, and, and you're like, hold on just a second. He hasn't dealt with his sin fully. You haven't asked him every question to make sure true repentance is there. He just runs. And just because you don't deal with one another that way does not mean God doesn't deal with people that way. You see, God runs out there. And just because you would like to be the older brother that sits over angry as you see God forgive them one more time, it does not mean that's the way you should be. You see? In this moment, he shares a testimony. It is a testimony of his relationship to God. And he says, I'm blessed. And you say, oh yeah, you're blessed because you are so good, right? You're blessed because of all your perfect life. That's why I'm blessed. That's, that's it. No, he says, blessed is the man, this person who has seen their sin, admitted it to God, and experienced forgiveness. He's not blessed because he deserves it. He is blessed because God is gracious and merciful to the one who is broken over their sin. And you say, yeah, but don't they get credit for being broken? Yeah, I guess so, since God's been putting the pressure on them until they cried uncle. This should encourage you about what God is like. This should encourage you about what your marriage should be like. This should encourage you about how you should raise your children. This should encourage you in how you should deal with friends. This should encourage you about how you should like live your life in the church. This should encourage you. Because... When he felt the weight of his sin, after he had held on to it for how long? God puts the pressure on. He cries out. God answers with forgiveness. So what does he say? There's an admonition here. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. What's he saying? As I said, he's kind of a a wisdom teacher. Now, I struggle with this this week a little bit. There's a part of me that thinks, is it turning to like God speaking? Is God speaking here? Um, sorry, not here. I have to go further. Let's, let's move on. Uh, I'm, I'm going on down to verse 8. My brain just kind of went there for a minute. But, but he, what is he saying? The wisdom teacher is saying, And I guess I did struggle with another section of this too, trying to understand what's God saying when he says, while he may be found, what are we dealing with here? Is God speaking to a believer and saying, while he may be found, or is he speaking to an unbeliever? Are we speaking to kind of whoever hears this, listen? Um, I thought for a believer, when you would read this, while he may be found might be something like this. Confess your sin early. Address your sin now. Why? Because the longer you wait, the more pressure will come upon you. I thought about Babylon, like when they were coming, the Babylonians were going to come and take Israel. There were these prophets saying, repent, repent, repent. And they just continue on running in their sin. Repent, repent, repent. But listen, when the army starts marching, it's too late. God was going to judge them if they didn't. I mean, he was going to bring them to their knees and drag them out of the land he gave them and allow them to spend 70 years there. And you say, in the providence of God, that's how it's all just going to work out. He's, but, but, but understand, the prophets are saying, repent, repent, repent. Stop. And they're just moving on along. And so guess what? The army started marching. And when they encircle and take over, you can't stop this. It's almost like, be quick. You don't want to feel the pressure. You, as a wise teacher, you don't want your bones to feel like they're wasting away. You don't want to feel the heat of the sun. Turn away from that now. Be quick. For someone who is without Christ to live their life outside of him, know this, there is coming a day of judgment. And you better get ready. Because unless you repent, you will perish in the fires of judgment. How long? Eternally. Repent. Heed the wisdom of the wise teacher and repent. Verse 8, 9, and 10, there's a promise. This is where I would say I struggle with a little bit still. Is this as if God were speaking to you? Or, again, is the wise teacher coming to you, which is where I would end up. He's going to instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Again, thinking about David as king, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I think that's where I kind of end up saying, 
It's as if the the speaker is saying, listen, I'm going to come alongside you. We've been thinking about discipleship. he, he He is discipling. Don't walk in this way. Sometimes we think about people and say, do as I say, uh, uh, not as I do. He's just saying, don't do as I did. Like, you don't want, there was, that experience was very hard. You don't want to walk that road. Just go ahead and deal with your sin now. Don't continue in it. It is a hard road to walk. Don't be like the beast. Don't be like less than human. Don't act like you're not a human that can think and, 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 and act and hear and listen. Don't be like the beast. You don't want to go around with a bridle. You don't want to be led that way. It's not, a, it's not the best way to be led. God made you for more than that. It's a way to say that. The long periods of pressure are because of the, the, the desire to, to run your own way. Don't, don't do that. You don't want to live in this way. Do you remember when Jacob met Pharaoh? Anybody remember that? He he's, uh, goes, you know, there's this period of famine and the children of Israel leave the, the promised land, they go into um, Egypt. And then when they get there, Joseph's, of course, in the highest place of power. And so he's going to be Jacob. This uh, this patriarch of a family of 70 is going to meet with Pharaoh and he meets him. And he says to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. So he is very old. But his life has been difficult. God brought David. I mean, I'm sorry. God brought Jacob through many different things. And he brought him out on the other side. But it was not without a lot of pain. And I think about his life. I heard an author one time say he was a part of the school of faith. It's kind of the school of hard knocks. It's like he had to make every bad decision possible until he was right where he needed to be. Anna and I talk about discipling a lot. And we, we've, uh, she always says, you just got to find somebody who's faithful, available, and teachable. And you would be surprised how, far it, how hard it is sometimes to find somebody that's really teachable. I mean really teachable. Because most people have already got life figured out and they want to do it their way. A lot of people are that way. And you think, why would you be so foolish? Listen to this person, for instance, here, this teacher who has walked the road that he does not want you to walk. It's almost in another way for me, I was thinking about it. I know an older man one time whose wife said, could you take these pair of shoes back to the store? 
So he boxes up the shoes, takes the receipt in the bag, drives to the store, walks up to the counter and says, I need to return these shoes. And the, the person, the clerk or whatever says, you can't return those shoes. And he said, I am returning these shoes. There are two ways to go about this. One is that you go ahead and return the shoes. Two is that we go through the long process of you getting me to your manager, and then I'll return the shoes. But either way, I'm returning the shoes. The Christian life can be lived either. We can say you can walk in wisdom and learn from the wisdom of others, or you can say I will figure this out myself and I will run my own way. Either way, God's going to bring you to where he wants you to be. But one of them is you're going to have the bruises and the limp that go with it. And so it's almost like sometimes you say, be wise, be wise, be quick to listen and learn. Look for people who will invest in you and don't just say you want that, but you really don't. I've heard so many people, I just need somebody to help me out. Yeah, right. That's what I want to say a lot of times. If you really did, your demeanor would be radically different. And when you're listening and not listening, it's proof to me you really don't really love to grow in wisdom. So, what happens? What happens here? In this psalm, we start with blessed is the one. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is that one. Blessed is the one who has, even under God's pressure, has repented of their sin and known his forgiveness. And then he says, do the same. Just do it quicker. Listen and learn and grow in instruction so that you don't walk the road that I have walked. And guess what? Whether you've walked the bumpy road, all of us will at some part, right? At some point, all the way along, we're going to walk the bumpy road or the smooth. It all leads to praise because you're glad in the Lord that He is guiding you and that He is moving you towards holiness and He is graciously working in your life. Now, last part here that I want to say just before we conclude this is I think about one of the things that you always want to do when you read the Bible is think Christocentrically. I'm thinking like, is that a good word? I don't even know if it is a word. But think in light of Christ what is going on and how David might read this even better if he had experienced what you and I have experienced. How he could read it with and be filled with more joy if he understood that. The truth about Jesus and what he has done for us. The truth about one who comes who perfectly embodies the law. And then takes sin's curse upon himself. The one who endured the wrath of God. And and the one who not only allowed our sins to be covered. But to be totally cleansed. Radically cleansed. Forever cleansed. If he could just have known that the day of atonement like would never have to be done again because there would be one who would go in who would gain access and then offered himself willingly. What? How much more joy would fill his heart if he knew what you and I knew? This should be a psalm for us that we say, I can read this like David 
But I can read this in light of the son of David who came. And my joy should be even more full. And my repentance should be even quicker. And my joy, again, of his salvation, even greater. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study it. And we ask that you would help us see clearly so that we would learn to not only be ministered to personally by this, but we would be able to minister to one another. We pray that we would be humble people that don't just talk about being teachable, but truly are. That we would learn to walk in true wisdom and heed the wisdom of others. In Christ's name, amen.